0: You're listening to Drek FM.
1: There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it.
2: (laughs) I was there more times than I can remember.
1: My father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter.
2: That's what your uncle told you. He didn't hold with your father's ideals. Thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself and he was a good friend. Which reminds me, I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. What is it? your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire.
1: How did my father die?
2: A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? The force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together.
0: Well, welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. And as you guys know, you've been here so often. I think you guys are here more than I am. We just are here to talk all things geeky. Uh, I really hope that you've grabbed a drink from Ruby. Uh, Grab that chair. We've got something really special for you tonight. And uh, before we dive into that, I want to remind you guys, of course, that... uh, the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network at trek.fm. We are also on iTunes at itunes.com trek.fm. You can find all our shows there. We have over 20 different shows and feeds for you with everything revolving around the Star Trek universe. You can also find shows devoted to every single show in Star Trek as well as books and comics, different points of view, behind the scenes. And then, of course, you know, because you're here, this 602 Club. So check all those out. You can also find us on Twitter, at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com, TrekFM. And, of course, we're on the Babel Conference, which is the listeners-only discussion group. And you can f- just type Babel into the search field on Facebook. Or you can check us out on any of the pages. Just hit Discussion on the menu bar at Trek.FM, and it'll bring you right to the Babel Conference. Now we do have something special because we are going to be talking about the original Star Wars movie, A New Hope, Episode 4, and I'm very excited to have reached this film because I think like many people, this film changed my life in some ways. Uh, it, It really did. And we've got some amazing guests joining us tonight, and I'm so excited to have them here all the way from a galaxy far, far away, The Star Wars Report. Riley and Bethany Blanton. Guys, welcome to the 602 Club.
3: Indeed. I'm quite excited about the show tonight and very glad to be on here for my first time.
0: And John, it's great to have you back here in the 602 Club. Of course, to talk, I mean, the one that started it all, A New Hope, Star Wars, whatever you want to call it. It's still the one that Made all of this possible.
1: Wasn't no A New Hope when I was growing up. (laughs) Not at first. That is
0: true. It actually, I'm trying to remember if the first time that I saw it on VHS, if it said A New Hope. Yeah, if
1: it was on VHS, it would have. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Well, it's a a long time ago and not quite a galaxy far, far (laughs) away from me, but yeah. We have been talking through each one of the films as we're working our way to the force awakens and it's been a really interesting experience to watch through these films, you know, one through six as we're going and to see all the connections and the way the storyline comes together. But I wanted to of course, ask everybody, you know, what your episode four experience was just like we did with the other films, because I know for so many people, you know, it, it had such a huge impact on just who we are and, and what we kind of loved in film. So uh, John, for you, what was your first experience with the movie, and and how did it kind of change things
1: for you? Well, I, it's a it's both easy and difficult to answer that sort of question. Being of a certain age, uh, I was very young when the first one came out, and seeing it is one of the very first clear memories I have. I don't remember the whole movie, but I do remember seeing the 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 very beginning. I remember the, the Star Destroyer coming overhead and there were kids in the front row. I say kids now because I'm older than they were. Um, but uh, they were in the front row and they threw some popcorn at the screen and got kicked out because it was apparently there <laughs> many... They, they had seen it before and I hadn't and somebody got them kicked out of the theater. So I have that. That's very much burned in my brain. But growing up, Star Wars did change everything in the sense that it was... It was the only game in town uh, in a lot of regards. The movie industry was very different back then. Everybody loves to talk about how this movie, uh, you know, affected the movie industry, but it also affected the cultural landscape. And so, like, childhood is Star Wars to me, uh, Mm. especially the earliest memories.
0: Bethany, for you, what is your first memory of Episode Four and what did it kind of what did it mean for you?
3: I know for for both me and Riley, we had been planning on watching Star Wars for months. Like it was a time where we had to get together with multiple family members and work around schedules. And then finally one one night my dad said, Okay, well, we can either do this the easy way or the hard way. You can choose instant gratification Or delayed gratification, at which point me and Riley, both being rather young, completely interrupted him and said, instant gratification, instant gratification, (laughs) knowing that it meant we would watch part of it. So my dad was like, "Okay, well, we will watch part of it tonight and we'll finish it tomorrow night then. And so we all gathered around and I was so excited about everything that, you know, we were cooking dinner and I was supposed to be making chocolate chip cookies and somehow... Because I was thinking about Star Wars too much, I managed to forget to put eggs in the cookies and used olive oil instead of regular oil. So they looked really weird and they tasted perfectly awful when they came out of the oven. So that was a failure, but we were too excited about Star Wars (laughs) to care.
1: So we stopped
3: We stopped right at the scene in a new hope that night. Right when the Falcon is diving away. From the Imperial Star Destroyers, and that's where my dad paused the movie, and just he just paused it right there and said, "Okay, we'll continue tomorrow night." At which point, we both protested very loudly and 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 I'm totally,
4: and, and if I get, I am going to totally pull the 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 sibling slash old married married couple bit here because it, I believe that was Empire.
3: Whoa. It was, oh, yes. Empire. <laughs> it Wait. was back in 64. No, it was 65. Did, did they start us with Empire? Uh, no. Or did no, they start us was, with a New Hope? Um,
4: we saw a New Hope before Empire, but yeah, we did. Uh, that is a very, I mean, that's, that's very much of the style that we saw Star Wars. So I think it still yes. very much applies because it was an event when, yes, we, when we watched it. was always these that films.
3: family event. Um, but I remember, for me, what struck me the most when I first watched this episode was the twin sun, sunset, I think. It was that scene and the music and the expression on Luke's face. And that was when I knew that I was hooked. And that was when I knew that even though Luke seemed awfully young in a lot of ways and a little bit whiny in some ways, that I, I knew that I liked him <laughs> and I wanted to see his hero's journey. Feathered because I knew, that, I knew that that was... I,
0: his his Justin Beaver hair and yeah you I I can understand yes it.
3: exactly so but Star Wars became something to me that through those family events and and it being such a family thing uh, it Star Wars and stories like Star Wars like the Lord of the Rings etc those have massively impacted my life through the way that they've taught me morals to strive for what I believe in. Uh, To have personal beliefs and to do the right thing, even if it's the difficult thing.
0: Riley, what about you? What were some of the things that, you know, especially watching episode four, that just really struck you and and just pulled you in so that, you know, Star Wars has that effect on people. You, You watch it and it... You, you, it doesn't let go of you it's, you know it's weird
4: um but i' w- I'll be totally honest and say that star wars as an as an institution as mythology captured my heart long before I saw a new hope long before um because like I say it was a family event and Beth and I both grew up overseas um in of all places Peshawar Pakistan for many years so like we we lived um in a in a totally different culture until we were about 10 11 right around there uh and move back to the states and one of the times we moved back was around it was after 911 so it was around 2002 when we moved back but uh I'll never forget being on leave uh my dad worked with an NGO we'd come back for a few months in the states kind of rest and recover and then the family would be back overseas and and we were back summer 99 and I'll never you know like all of my friends we're playing with lightsabers, collecting all the Pepsi cans. Hmm. Like Star Wars uh, fever was in full swing, and in a way that mm. um, a, a, that you can only imagine. How old would I have been, A seven-year-old, eight-year-old at the time would would have would have remembered it. And so it had already captured my interest and imagination. But I wouldn't see a Star Wars film uh, until years later, until 2003 or four, approximately. In fact and the first one i saw was the phantom menace so it's it's i feel kind of sometimes almost guilty in a way because a new hope just doesn't have the same place in 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 my heart as a star wars fan as it did for the generations before me that saw it for, first and and blew everyone's minds so much cuz Cause, cause star wars I was already reading all the backs of the action figures in Target to find out what the plot to Revenge of the Sith would be, right? You know, I was like, ooh, yeah. who is this, you know, this uh, Utapauan leader? It's going to be it's Tian Madan. He's going to be the hero of Revenge of the Sith. And, and so like, that was, <laughs> that was the world of Star Wars that I grew up knowing and that all my friends would be playing uh, and we would be inventing bounty hunter games. And it was all so heavily um, involved in the prequel era that A New Hope, has sort of in a way grown on me in in a very special way as I've gotten older uh, each year each time I see it 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 sort of is slowly becoming my star wars and, and I'm going to steal a word from from Steve Glosson here but my star wars comfort food to where it's sort of it's the homeliest and and not homeliest as in as in <laughs> wrong word it's the most um What's that? In Lord of the Rings, it would sort of be like when you return to the Shire. When I watch A New Hope, it's sort of like I'm I'm returning to the beginning of something special, it's the simplest. and 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 beginning to understand exactly what the mythology came from. And it's only as I've gotten older and passed the the teenage years of reenacting the Count Dooku versus Anakin double lightsaber attack of the clones duel uh, version of Star Wars fandom, and appreciated the mythology of. A young man coming into his own heroic journey, that journey has sort of been slow in recent years, but i I guess I'll cap it off by saying uh and I apologize, I realize I'm being more long winded than I intended, <laughs> but uh I think what describes my relationship with a new hope the best is is years ago uh when at the time the forecast now Rebel force radio started doing it uh I started following along with the tradition that that Jimmy Mack does, one of the hosts there, and he screens a new hope every. Every year at New Year's, and blows up the Death Star yeah. at midnight, and I and I started that about five years ago, and it's it, it started with like usually it'd be me, and then uh, my dad works overseas, and usually he has Christmas off, so that would be something special that we share, and he's the one who originally, as Bethany was saying, introduced us to Star Wars. Um, it became a family tradition, and that is when A New Hope really began to sink in as something that's that's very special, uh, but not in the way that it was for many.
0: Well, and I love that, though, too, because, you know, one of the things that has changed about Star Wars is the fact that we have a lot of different generations now. There's the original generation. There's the generation like me that grew up right after Star Wars was the thing. And so we saw it only, you know, if you've only seen Star Wars on the little screen, you know, that's exactly yeah, my Yeah, you generation. saw it
4: ripped off of HBO on a VHS tape, right? Like, Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. You know, and then the next generation was uh, that grew up as the special editions. And then it was the prequels. And then it was the Clone Wars. And then now we've got the Rebels. And, I mean, you have all of these different generations coming into Star Wars. And it's not just the original generation anymore. Which I love that something like this has captivated the imaginations of so many different generations in different ways. And, yeah, for me, you know, I... My first experience with watching episode four was not at a big screen. It was on a TV screen, an old tube TV, you know, not great, on a VHS tape. And it was my birthday, and we were going to watch all three, but I remember being just spellbound by episode four. I mean, the way it starts, it, it grabs everybody, a huge ship, is flying over? Is it shooting at another ship? And I mean, you're just immediately pulled in. And everything else just pulls you with, with it. And Star Wars, even the first time I saw it, because I saw them back to back to back in one night, it wasn't my favorite. But it started me on a journey that really did change me because it really opened my eyes to fanciful storytelling. I became a Chronicles of Narnia fan and then a Lord of the Rings fan and a Star Trek fan but Star Wars this original Star Wars film is what spawned every other fandom that I have it's because of this movie and and so it opened up a whole new world and no I'm not gonna sing any Aladdin for but you. It guys, was, but it was I mean it is it's a fantastic point of view
4: I'm... it is it really <laughs> is Oh, gosh, I just want to say. I <laughs> know, I'm, I'm baiting you. I'm baiting you.
0: It's, yeah. And so what I love, though, is that even for for you and Bethany, like, it is a different thing. Like, we can't just pretend people that are older fans that um, we're the only ones that hold Star Wars dear, you know? And that's what I love about having you guys on to talk about this because you do have a completely different perspective. And, and that's really, I think, something that, needs to be had in the Star Wars community these
1: days. John? Yeah, no, I, I was just, uh, I was going to back you up on that and just say that it's, it's refreshing actually to get a different viewpoint because I think that the older Star Wars generation, as it were, sometimes gets very mired in the perspective that the way they experience it is the only way to experience it. So hearing both Riley and Bethany, hearing your point of view on it is actually really refreshing. Because I can also say that, you know, it, it can get the stories of people's first experiences with Star Wars after time got a little tiring to hear. Because it was like, yeah, yeah, we we saw it in the movie theater. We did this. We did that. Everybody inspired by blah, blah, blah. But hearing that it had that power, has that power, still is actually really refreshing. And I I think can encourage and enable uh, the older fans to reconnect with what that emotional experience was and to sort of let go of their own prejudices of what it means to be a fan.
3: I think you're right, John, and especially in part because, you know, when I mentioned it's that twin sun sunset for me that got me hooked, I meant for that it was, that's what got me hooked into the original trilogy because I did watch The Phantom Menace first, And so I did have a little bit of bias, if you will, thinking, oh man, but these are so much older and the Phantom Menace have such good special effects. Yeah. I mean, those are very old now, (laughs) but when I watched it, it it was really amazing. (laughs) And so I thought, well, you know, I'm sure the story is good, but it probably just won't be as good visually. And then I watched it and I, you know, I had that slight bias of thinking, well, it might be a little older or kookier and... Then it was that moment that I realized, you know what, I love both.
1: Yeah, no, it, and it and it really is. It's it's really fascinating as well because coming in with, it, in essence, your experience is more akin to somebody who read Lord of the Rings before they read The Hobbit, whereas I would I would classify myself and and Matt as well as somebody who read The Hobbit first and then read Lord of the Rings, and it's it's interesting because. They're two different perspectives, but everything does weave together so well uh, overall that you can have that unified experience, and it doesn't matter what your point of attack is. You can jump in midstream and have a fine time, or you can, you know, go back and, and do whatever. So, yeah,
0: it's pretty cool. Well, and the the beautiful thing is, and
1: and it's our wonderful friend Obi Wan Kenobi. It, it's true
0: from a certain point of view, <laughs> and and it's true that each and every fan especially now, is experiencing Star Wars in a different way, with a different perspective than was had by the previous generation. But that doesn't make it any less true or any less valid. And I I love that for you guys, you had a completely different perspective on Star Wars, but it's just as valid as anybody who stood in line as a teenager or as an adult to watch it in 77. And I, I think that is really special and that's really something cool about Star Wars is that it, it brings different generations together when those generations are open to that happening. So I, yeah, it's so cool and I'm like right now my niece, my wife and I, we've moved down uh, closer to her side of the family and her niece has just gotten into Rebels and Clone Wars and she's like, five you know that's her that's her star wars right now you know that's what star wars means to her and i get to connect with her on that level you know she hasn't seen all the stuff but she loves it you know and that experience is going to be just as valid as my experience as watching it you know or y'all's experience watching the phantom men first so it's i mean it's so cool that we all have this thing that connects us in a way that it's a little bit different But at the same time, it brings us all together and that's really fun. So
4: Absolutely.
0: One of the things that is interesting, especially now as we've been progressing from you know, we've watched episodes one, two, and three here uh, on the six oh two club, and now we're in, you know, episode four is continuing the story and the fact that, you know, twenty years have ...have happened between, you know, the end of Episode 3 and the beginning of Episode 4. And also will be interesting because Episode 7 is kind of doing the same thing with a very long time period. You've got a 30-year period there. But when you take it in order, I mean, this galaxy has changed dramatically since the last time you you saw it in Episode 3... And the scope of the story has become smaller. So when you guys, Bethany and Riley, when you guys are watching, you know, uh, Star Wars and and you do it chronologically, how does everything flow for you? And, uh, And how does it feel when you kind of go from this big galactic events of the prequels and you kind of bring it all in to where you said, Bethany, you start with this hero's journey for this, you know, backwater boy from planet nowhere.
3: I think for us it was a little interesting because we watched it in the oddest order that you could to begin with. I believe we watched The Phantom Menace and then A New Hope, Riley. And then yep. mm-hmm. and then Empire and then Attack of the Clones. And then Return of the Jedi and then Revenge of the Sith.
4: That is correct. Yes. Correct a mundo. <laughs> so <laughs> we
3: had some real jumping around between the two trilogies going on there. And and you could tell it because Luke, you know, he's he's just a, a kid from the planet that's farthest from the bright center of the universe. This really backwater place on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And you can as you journey through Star Wars with Luke, the world becomes bigger and bigger. Uh, and eventually you see that in its full conclusion in Return of the Jedi, really. You see truly what's at stake. Whereas the mission's been a bit smaller before then. and But you get to see that full-fledged with an entire Republic in the uh, prequels. So for me, I, I really do like that aspect of the prequels. But on the other hand, it is nice to spend time with the characters that we do in the original trilogy. Uh, The feel of the two is very different in ways, and yet the same core concepts, good versus evil, and the temptation to do the easy thing when it's the hard but right thing that you should do, Um, and and the individual decisions that affect so much. Like Han's sort of selfish, don't care attitude but he really does care kind of underneath um, he thinks that you know it doesn't really matter what he does he's just in this galaxy to, to make his a living and, and get some money and upgrade the falcon and have fun with Chewy and you know explore but then when he realizes what's at stake he, he starts to find himself caring and he fights it he fights it <laughs> but uh, he he can't not care in the end and so when he comes back you know if it weren't for Han we don't know if the Empire would have fallen because we don't know if the second Death Star would have fallen Luke may may very well have been killed so we see the ripple effects of these decisions and I think in some ways they're more subtle actually in the original trilogy than they are in the prequels because we see the disastrous consequences of Anakin's decisions very clearly in Revenge of the Sith uh, but we don't necessarily see it so much in a new hope
1: yeah i I mean a, a new hope definitely uh, stands as a more uh, as a simpler story um, at, you know, and I think it was crafted that way on purpose uh, back then because you know Lucas uh, famously in, in the original making of uh half hour TV special said he just wanted to make a quote good wholesome adventure like he was just Basically, trying to make something as simple and as accessible as possible, and exciting too, and so it's it's interesting because when when you go back and you sort of fit this one into the puzzle that was built later, it it really is um that yeah you know, it it does serve as the linchpin still, and I think it always will. It doesn't matter how many more episodes they make. I really feel that a new hope serves because of its very streamlined storytelling and it's very uh for comparison's sake to the others so far very restrained scope I think it's it, ser- it will always serve as that you know the linchpin or the keystone that will tie everything together uh you know going forward or moving backward however they choose to do it
0: yeah it's a really interesting thing that uh, you know A New Hope does this great job of reintroducing you to a galaxy that has been decimated by the tyranny of the Empire. And because it starts off small, it's not overwhelming, especially as you transition from three to four. Uh, And I think that it works so well, even though, yes, it, it has that quality of being engineered backwards. Uh, it it actually works really well to bring you back into Star Wars, and again, twenty years, everything's changed. I re- I love the way that it it fits. Like I don't feel so out of place if I if I finished Episode three and I pop in Episode four. It does a good job of easing you back into this place by starting small and starting, like you were saying, John, with a very focused storytelling of we're gonna start with Luke, we're gonna start with um, well, we would start with the droids really and uh, we're we're gonna bring you in easy back into this universe And I think that's really really smart so it'll be interesting to see if they kind of follow that up with episode 7 as well that each f- first part of this, you know, these trilogies puts you back in and tries to m- you know make it feel, like, okay, we're gonna put you back into Star Wars, but things have changed, so you're gonna have to catch up a little bit, but we'll take it easy on you, you know? So yeah, it's a it's a really cool thing. I and I love watching Star Wars now one through six, just seeing how the storyline all plays out. So, um, and I think it flows really well.
1: Well, just to to speak to that flow, if I if I can throw in a story uh really quick. Um, I think I might have mentioned this uh when we were discussing episode three, but uh like Star, the original Star Wars, A New Hope, has also shifted for me because there were a number of years ago where um, I had a friend who hadn't watched the movies uh, since childhood. And so what I did – and uh, she hadn't actually seen the prequels either. She had sat them out because of whatever reason. And so I showed from episode one to two to three. And then when I showed four, which was the one she had seen as a child, all of that stuff – she actually commented how much more important and how much more emotionally impactful the duel between Obi-Wan and Vader is at the end of Star Wars. And I think that that is, you know, j- just to back up what everybody's been saying, like that in and of itself, her experience to me was a real testament to how well it really does work when it fits all together.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, when you think about that, you, you don't have the weight I mean, you realize that there's some connection between Vader and and this, you know, Obi-Wan character, yeah, you know, just by the little speech that Vader gives. You know, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. And and But yeah, the full weight of, okay, you know, the last time that these guys met, um, one of them cut the other one to pieces and left him uh, to yep. die on a lava planet. And, uh, so there's, a this, I mean, this is the big rematch, you know, Vader (laughs) is looking for the payback.
1: Yeah. Vader's quest for revenge here is a wee bit understandable. Yeah. You know, can't fault him for Um, wanting to take a piece out of him.
0: Not at all. But, and that flows, I think, right into this whole idea. Like, you know, when we're flowing from episode three to four, three was the beginning of the empire this is officially the end of the Republic. You know, Vader has this great line at the beginning of the movie, there'll be no one to stop us this time. And this is the film where the Republic and the last vestiges of it finally die and full-on tyranny completely happen. The Empire is not responsible to report to anyone about anything that it does. And I think that's a... That's a really interesting connection for, you know, three and four to have.
1: Yeah, because that that's actually also there's a line later in the movie where they announce the dissolution of the Senate. Like it's finally dissolved in that film. And I, I think you're right. I think that that's a connection that a lot of people overlook now is that they were talking about the bureaucratic stuff back then, too. It's just it was in little pieces here and there.
0: For you, Riley and in, in Bethany, the, this is one of those things that I love about Star Wars because the the themes of, of the the film aren't quite as, I don't know how to say it. I mean, they're not quite as in your face, I think, as the prequels. But what I really love is that this rebellion, you know, there's the great phrase that all it takes for evil to come about good is for good people nothing. to sit by yeah. and do exactly. And that the the rebellion is these are people who aren't going to do nothing. They're not going to s- just sit by and let evil happen. And I think what an important message, even that resonates so clearly in our world today.
4: Yeah, it's so true. And and that's and that's one aspect of the film that um is is rather gradual. It's it's interesting because there isn't the, the there is a stark statement made about good and evil right at the beginning of the film, right? You have you have Vader make his entryway and choke out the captain without mercy, and, and, you know, it's go time. We know that this is the bad guy. Clearly, Princess Leia, good guy, is trying to escape, and you it, and you immediately know who you're rooting for. And then they kind of forget all of that for the whole next 30, 40 minutes of the film, where out in this remote Tatooine, You know, uh, Luke wants to go off to the academy and be a pilot, and he's like, "The Empire can't be that bad. At least it'll get him off this rock, right?" Um, And we're we're too, we're too, it's too remote. The Empire's not going to bother us here. It's everything's fine, and it's as a um, as a viewer, I think, especially I remember the first time I watched it, you kind of get um, apathetic, or at least maybe even just forget a little bit about the Empire and its and its evil, uh, especially when it's not right there in front of you. And gradually throughout the film, you realize, I think, about the time where it really hits home again is possibly the torture scene with Leia. But even then, they don't really show anything. I think the real moment that that sort of stark good versus evil is really brought forward is, is of course, the destruction of Alderaan. And that's when the statement is really made, this is what we're dealing with.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, one of the themes that I see as translating quite well from episode 3 to episode 4 is the theme of hope because while The Revenge of the Sith is a dark movie and it's the only Star Wars movie so far rated PG-13 uh, the very end of it when it shows baby Luke and baby Leia on Alderaan and Tatooine it, there's so much hope that's being alluded to I I feel like that ties the two movies together quite well in a way that it wouldn't have if we'd simply seen the fall and Obi-Wan escape.
0: Oh, I love that. Because what's so cool and what's so interesting is, you know, you think back to the Phantom Menace and there's been these two Sith and they've been in hiding for so long and just waiting for their opportunity to come to strike. But now the tables have been turned and the Jedi, Obi-Wan and Yoda, are doing that same thing, and they are about to turn the tables on the Empire, the Sith. And it's a really nice parallel, and, and obviously George Lucas loves his mirroring, and he loves his parallels, but this one just comes about so perfectly, and you realize how patient old Ben has been just sitting in the desert. Obviously, I will say it does seem like he's had some adventures, because when he talks about how rough most Eisley Cantina is, it seems to be coming from experience. So this guy hasn't been just sitting around doing yeah. nothing. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, who knows how many arms he's chopped off in that uh, that canteen? I just want to know what now. his bar tab is, <laughs> and how does he pay
1: for it?
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not really pulling any Jedi retirement. I'll tell you that.
2: <laughs> you yeah, don't need to ask pension to went down the drain.
1: The
0: <laughs> You do not need to see my credits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's. He uh, said oh, he yeah. would
1: go pay for it. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I, I I love that you know there really is this this sense of biding our time and that there is going to be that opportune moment for hope to strike back, and it really does come with with you know this this story about Luke and I think it's a perfect time to dive into the idea of talking about the new chosen one and I put that in. Dink, dink, quotes, uh, because uh, there's really... Dink, dink, quotes makes me For Steve Brosson. Yeah, dink, dink, quotes. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, Luke and his path to training are so different than Anakin's. And that's one of the things I really notice, especially, you know, with all we have with the Clone Wars and everything like that. You know, Anakin was always told from the moment he was picked up by Qui-Gon that he was special and that he was the chosen one. Yeah, no pressure, Anakin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, if you want to really screw up a kid, tell him he can do whatever he wants. He can always be anything he wants. And, oh, by the way, you're going to save the galaxy somehow. I mean, we yeah. really know a prophecy misread. It could have been, but we're not. Well, I mean, but we're going to put it on you. Thanks for
1: being born, and- kid. We think you might actually be a god. So, uh, no pressure. <laughs> have fun. Don't, oh, don't get screwed up.
0: But what's so different here is that, you know, the way that that they take on the training of Luke, and it is such a different path that they put him on, and they don't tell him everything. They don't overload him with everything the way they did Anakin. And I don't know, Bethy. Uh, you know, you're in um, school, but you're a- also in the ROTC for the Air Force. Yes, indeed. And you, there's so much that goes into that, and how you guys are trained, and and they've got it down to a science, but. Now, you know, the Jedi are totally changing the way that they're going to bring up their next chosen one. How do you, what do you feel about that now as you watch all of these films together and see the difference between how they deal with, you know, one Skywalker and the other?
3: Well, I think part of it a lie, does lie with Obi-Wan. It's in the sense that they had Obi-Wan who, yes, while a very talented Jedi, was very young when he took on Anakin as his apprentice, and he had almost zero experience, even as a knight, before taking Anakin as a Padawan, and he was still grieving about Qui Gon Jinn. I mean, that's that's a, when your master, your father figure, essentially passes away. There is no snapping right back to work, so I I think that Anakin's training. With having Qui-Gon, you know, the person that Anakin first met in the Jedi, die so horribly, so quickly, and then having a, essentially a grief-stricken Obi-Wan, who probably really wasn't fully focused for months after that, uh, and had zero experience with training anyone, take on the training of this uh, little boy whose lifestyle was radically different than any of the Jedi up to this point I think there were a lot of misunderstandings. The Obi-Wan who trains Luke has not only had decades of experience and has trained and has learned from his mistakes as a trainer, but he's also lived on Tatooine. He has an understanding of what Luke's going through, an understanding of Luke's background and culture. And the young Obi-Wan, while a good and kind-hearted person, had very little understanding of Anakin, I think. Because he had no context for it. He'd never lived outside of the Jedi.
1: Yeah, I think that there's a a good opportunity for contrast, too, because with Luke, he loses his brand new master firsthand and in a very tragic... Like, for Anakin, it's still a little abstract. He's out, you know, saving Naboo and everything like that, and Qui-Gon dies when he's not there, whereas Luke witnesses, you know, the man he's been told killed his father, then cut down the one guy that... You know, I mean, Owen Ber- Owen and Baru loved Luke uh as much as they could, eh, but like they eh. they didn't exactly show a lot of Did they? tenderness to him. Yeah. I do. <laughs> I, th- I I mean, come on. You can see your you know, somebody shows your up and is like gone. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, it was hard farm living and and Uncle Owen was obviously strict, but like Ben shows this very nurturing, encouraging sort of uh, you know, uh love to Luke. And then Luke handles Ben's death, you know, a lot better than than uh, than Anakin, I guess, handles, you know, Qui-Gon's loss. But I mean, you know, like I I think it just it speaks to the fact that the Jedi had learned and Luke being older, he's able to uh, process and contextualize grief better than Anakin did. And additionally, wasn't told this, you know, the same line about being the chosen one his whole life.
0: I really think that that is—you know, that's a good question, okay? Does his uncle and his aunt—how do they love him? And I think that the the way that you could say that, that Luke has grown up in, in a pretty supportive system is that he is well enough adjusted to be able to deal with the bumps that life gives him. And when I say bumps, I mean— uh, those burning carcasses outside <laughs> small, of, bumps, little, uh, small things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the the death of somebody like Obi-Wan Kenobi at the hands of what he sees. That's is true. You know, he's got to suspect that's Darth Vader. Luke is already more well-adjusted in his life than Anakin ever was. And you can see it because he's obviously grown up in a nurtured place. Matt, I think you've, I think you've uh, hit something
4: here, and I've never thought of it this way, but the true savior of the galaxy... It's not Obi-Wan. It's not Luke Skywalker. It's Aunt Beru. And now hear me out.
0: Yeah, there
4: you See, go. You know, Uncle Owen's all gruff. He's like, yeah, you can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Hey, make sure uh, you know, you're know you out on the fields. No, you can't go to school. You're going to stay here. You know, he's the, he's the rough and tough guy. Uh, but you know who's the tender, soft-hearted, caring, nurturing motherly figure in Luke's life that makes him the well-adjusted, future to be Jedi forget Obi-Wan's training it was Aunt Beru who saved uh, Star Wars hashtag Aunt Beru forever Says I. Well,
1: well but the, but that that in and of itself also ties back to uh, Anakin being taken away from his mother. That's true. Luke has Luke has a mother's love essentially growing up. Episode Anakin... title.
4: Forget the um, how Padme didn't die of a broken heart. This is the new long form article that needs to take Reddit by storm. Aunt Beru is the yeah. true is the true savior of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, uh, it,
1: it, I think you can no. make a compelling right, argument for that. Let me, yeah. Sorry guys, I'm going to take some notes here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, I think that that is really something that is so interesting to see is the difference between the two Skywalkers. And the other thing that's so interesting I, it is to see the, the difference between them is that Luke isn't selfish the way Anakin is, even from the beginning here. Like, he is a very giving person. He... Um, it's not all about him and what he wants and who he loves. Like, again, he's just somebody who's well-adjusted to life. Obviously, he hasn't grown up in slavery. So, one, that helps. But, two, I think Luke has always grown up knowing that he is adopted by his aunt and uncle. You know, so he already has a a different lifestyle than, than uh, Anakin did, where he's stripped from his mother, basically. You know, so... This is such an interesting thing—the uh, the psychology of these characters and where it puts them, and that Luke can handle what happens to him because I think his aunt and uncle did a pretty good job of raising him in a place that made him feel comfortable. And that's that. Uh, yeah, wow, what a we we have discovered something here in the Six Hundred Two Club that is going to take Star Wars fans by mm-hmm. storm. <laughs> and Riley Blanton is right. <sighs> Hashtag Aunt Baru forever.
3: Well, and and if you think about it too. The Jedi just have no clue really how to deal with Anakin appropriately given that background difference. Because again, even setting Obi-Wan aside, essentially Qui-Gon dies... Obi-Wan's kind of out of it because he's young and he's just grief-stricken and thinking about his master and thinking about the Sith arising and thinking about being a new knight and a new master and what are the Jedi going to think of him for taking on the Chosen One? And that's a ton to put on Obi-Wan at that age, honestly. He's under a lot of stress. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, But even then, it's Anakin has been raised with emotion to the point of being nine. Now, nine years old might not sound like very old, and it's not, but you've gone through all of your critical years and then some from a psychologist's perspective. Uh, and this is coming from my all-of-one mm-hmm. psychology class and a couple of books. So I'm definitely not a psychologist, but even just based on common sense... Where's
4: Andrea Letamendi when we need her? Yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> but even just based on common sense, they're kind of... Uh, all of these Jedi have grown up with learning how to let go of their grief, and they have a support system in the Jedi, whereas Anakin is new and Anakin is different, and the Jedi are so wildly different from him. They're not a support system when he first arrives. I mean, they can't be, just because he he can't really fully trust them or know what they're like yet. Even if he sees them as amazing Wonderful Jedi, the saviors of the universe. That just makes them intimidating, not not like friends that he can confide in. So they tell him not to feel. They're they're essentially just telling him, you take all of your feelings and uh, don't feel them. And you can't tell a nine year old that's a great does not a great know, strategy does not he doesn't know anything about the Jedi's way of dealing with feelings. And so he essentially just kind of stuffs those feelings deep down and as we can see, slowly but surely becomes resentful towards the Jedi um, quite honestly and truthfully says, if with a ton of attitude that they don't understand him because they don't. But at some point he becomes bitter and he pushes the Jedi away but he's reacting because it feels like the Jedi pushed him away because they, they never accepted Anakin for who he was because they didn't understand him. Uh, and, you know, then you have his mother dies and the Jedi essentially said you can't have attachments, which meant that Anakin probably couldn't go save her. And he can blame that on the Jedi. Which, let's yeah. be honest,
4: that's kind of a jerk move.
3: Yeah, so it's... it's, And that's kind of why I like the Jedi in the books so much better in a lot of ways because so far in in Legends they had learned that love is not evil. Love is not bad. But that attachment in the sense of trying to possess is what's bad. And that's eventually what Anakin fell into. You know, he loved Padme, but at the same time, he was so possessive of her that eventually his desire to not lose her even trumped his love for her. Because if he truly loved her, he wouldn't have essentially choked her out when he felt like he was losing her.
0: Well, and that's uh, one of the the coolest things about again, the psychology of where Luke is in that he's not he isn't one of those people who's grown up where he feels like he has to hold on to things so tightly. And it 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 explains when we get to empire why they're so worried about Luke um because they see him maybe falling into the same trap as as uh Anakin but that's for another podcast (laughs) yeah but but
1: you know additionally like the when Star Wars when Star Wars originally comes out and Luke's background is more of the uh, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for using this sort of phrase or not but like sort of the idyllic American ideal of living out on a farm where you know you're sort of connected to society but this sort of sense of separation and individualism that teaches you a self-reliance that you know whereas the the Jedi are this you know as we know them in the prequels are you know a big interconnected network I think that Luke's background especially at the time that it comes out speaks more to that idea of you don't need cities you like there's this anti-technological uh, angle through the movie that Lucas himself you know keeps harping on but Luke himself grows up with minimal technology and minimal uh, anything in his life. And, I, I, you know, I think it teaches that sort of self-reliance as well that, you know, that also informs his emotional maturity.
0: Well, and, it, and in the end, Luke has already kind of been, as you're talking about, he's already kind of been growing up in a Jedi mindset in a lot of ways, you know, with he's not, you know, overly reliant on technology or or any of those things he's he's not holding anything too tightly uh he already is kind of in the the perfect place for this training to happen and and uh it's such an interesting thing to see the difference between father and son and why luke will be able to make the decisions that he can make uh and why anakin couldn't and absolutely it's so fascinating Yeah, that you can get this deep with with Star Wars. I mean, even just the original here. But because we're watching them in this order and because George thankfully did add the prequels, it gives so much more to our understanding of, you know, what we see now when we watch A New Hope. So, so awesome. One of the cool things, John, you were just touching on, and I want to dive into this because I think it's really interesting. Something that Star Wars does, and especially this film here, it talks about that idea of the spiritual side of life um and really reinforces the the whole point that there isn't just a material world, there is something beyond that and you know by being in harmony with that spiritual side of life or the, the force, that's what true power comes from, and you know we can see that clearly with you know the empire and its for all its technological terror you know. <laughs> It, it's, it's so reliant on it, and everybody else except for the two guys at the top, Vader and, uh, you know, Palpatine are, are the ones who have some sort of, like, semi-spiritual side, but they're only using the power for their own gain, too. So it's like there's a whole difference there. So I wanted to talk about that for you guys and how Star Wars really does kind of help to say, hey— there's something more to existence than just this everyday. There's something beyond that.
4: I'll jump in real quick. Yeah, it's um it, especially in a new hope, it's the most nebulous like the spiritual aspect of Star Wars and I think that's the when it's at its best because the only ex- ex- explanation we really get um is is Obi-Wan's brief description to Luke. And even then we get a feeling that it's sort of the cliff notes version, right? Of, of what the force is truly about. Uh, And it's, I think Obi-Wan's really giving Luke just enough of what he needs to know right then. Um, And, and of course, a lot of people say that was one of the biggest problems later on in the prequels is, is the kind of over explanation of the spiritual side of star Wars, but it is, it's true. And I, and I, and I think it's important to recognize that that side does go both ways that uh, Darth Vader, as the villain, is is very distinctly spiritual in 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 the most evil of ways. Whereas, like you know, uh, don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's way ways, Lord Vader. Right? Those kind of quotes where you get the idea that amongst uh, the Imperials and and Tarkin and his cronies, the the religious aspect of Star Wars is just kind of uh, poked fun at, and um, you know. It's 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 weird how that is reflected on both sides, where you have Han Solo poking fun of hokey religions and ancient weapons, uh, and you have you know uh, the the Imperial officers poking fun of the sorcerer's ways of Darth Vader, and I think that's important to recognize that I think Lucas was very intentionally trying to uh, focus on there is a sense of greater power and it can be used for good or evil. And that really brings home that theme of of choice that's so important in the world of Star Wars.
3: I also think that it it kind of points out with both of the quotes that Riley used, you know, sorcerer's ways, and with the thought that, uh, you know, Han Solo just completely doesn't believe in the Force. And he's smart. If Han Solo had seen somebody use the Force in the past, he would know it and he would believe it. So I almost wonder if the Empire has capitalized on the idea that Darth Vader is this mysterious, powerful villain with a lightsaber, but if they haven't necessarily capitalized on his spiritual side, because for one of his officers to just essentially not believe that tells a lot. If if his own military doesn't even know that Darth Vader uses the Force, what does that say about the Empire? I almost wonder or it's like- if the Empire just does not pay attention to, or perhaps even suppresses, religious practices.
4: Yeah, it's, and it's almost like, with the, um, even with the Imperial officers, it's almost kind of funny that it's like uh, they're, they're poking fun of it. It's like, well, we'll indulge Vader. We know he, we like to think, right? We like to think he's powerful, but really there's no real power there. He's just the emperor. He's just pet.
3: a figurehead.
4: Uh, which is so fascinating because we already, we've already seen in Rebels over the summer how powerful Vader is so like at some point there uh, you know he's he's hamstrung he's hobbled he can't do quite as much and and that is incredible.
1: Well I I I would add uh, the perspective as well with um, you, you, you know in that scene with Vader that imagine you're on the side that wiped out the Jedi like it's completely understandable that uh, you know that Mahdi would be sitting there saying like yeah, yeah, okay, we killed everybody that, you know, use your freaky powers. So, you know, don't, don't try to come in here and act like you're hot stuff. And, you know, so, like, I could understand that mentality of somebody where even if they'd seen Vader in action, um, like, it would be like, yeah, yeah, you've got some parlor tricks, but you guys obviously aren't that powerful because we kind of killed all of you. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that that's an added dimension as well.
0: Well, and and I love that, John. We had we've just talked about uh, Lost Stars, yeah, and the way that that book adds to this conversation and the idea that most of the Imperials have no idea exactly who or what Vader is really, and they really have no idea about the Emperor, um, and you know when when Sienna Ray. Can, comes in contact with Vader for the first time in her life, it freaks her the heck out. Like, she's, she's, he leaves the room and she's falling on the floor to her, you know, uh, with her back against the wall, just like I, I you know, in, in a, in a daze, like feeling horrible because of the, the, the power that Vader is, you know, radiating right after the destruction of the, um, the Death Star. Because uh, obviously he's pretty angry at that point too, so I, I think that that really adds to the conversation of saying, yeah, there there is something about Vader that uh, and the Emperor that they tend to keep hidden from most people until they're angry. Uh, and then he just starts choking you, you know. Uh, so yeah, you don't think it's real. Well, let me allow you to not breathe for a little <laughs> yeah. bit, and we'll let you know how real it is. I wonder bro. if like <laughs> Vader
4: had special orders under the Emperor not to really use his Force powers overtly in it. You know, in the New Hope era, there's like some. There's got to be a story there because, by the time of Empire, uh, they all know. They all know what's what. They know that Vader's uh, the super powerful bad guy that he is.
3: Even in Revenge of the Sith when we see the Emperor take over, he's still, you know, he's under the guise of Palpatine still in the sense that he's he's definitely not revealing that he's a Sith lord and he explains away his appearance by saying, This is what the attack did to me. It left me mutated and scarred and and so you get the idea Perhaps, and this would be this would be kind of crazy, because this is definitely not how it's portrayed in legends material. I'd have to go back and read some of the books that are still canon uh, set in in the original trilogy timeline, but maybe the Emperor and Darth Vader have never truly revealed to the galaxy that they have those powers, like just period, and it's just that some it, t- some top level imperials know. Or they're like, they're rumors.
1: Yeah, that that's, com- that's completely feasible. Like they, you let just enough out. I mean, you know, you look at a, uh, but also, if you, you know, if you control things, like, you know, you look at North Korea, right? Like they literally put forth the, you know, the ruler there as the son of a God. And, you know, people are, you have no choice. Even if you don't believe it, you'd better believe it. And I I think that it would be very easy for the Empire to sort of keep things as under wraps as they need to, to make it just so that there are just hints and whispers out there to terrify people and nobody knows quite what's true and what's false.
0: Well, and then, you know, Bethany, you were talking about some of the new canon books, and Lords of the Sith really does that, where, you know, when oh, yeah. Vader and Palpatine let loose, it's not when tons of people are around. And when people see that, they have to die. So, I mean, you they're yeah. very careful with who they let loose in front of. And, you know, if they have to, well, if you've seen it, then you're not going to be around for very long. So, uh, they are very careful with that and so i think it makes for an even scarier thing because then it's just the like rumor mill happening around the galaxy of what happens when you run into vader
1: yeah yeah it's sort of like somebody could see um and i know we're talking about um you know uh, a new hope right now but like jumping forward to empire strikes back you see um you know somebody get you see Ozel get choked out and the people around it see it happen and, you know, somebody goes to their friend and is like, I saw the dude choke him out and he wasn't even in the room. It's like, oh, no, 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 you, you, there must have been something you didn't see. There, you know, like people, that, that's a really hard thing to sell people on the idea of. Yeah. But at the baseline, you find out he did kill the guy, though. I don't know how he did the car trick, but it was a car trick and it was really frightening to see.
3: Or like it's used just enough to be, it's, it's in the rumor mill. And everybody's terrified of them, but officially the Empire or the Emperor or Darth Vader would say, "No, no, you're just imagining things." You know, we rule. We can neither confirm rule nor, nor deny the death by force
4: joke <laughs> right. of Admiral. Ozzel. Yes, but then yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like
3: you know, a- and so such such accounts are dismissed as somebody was high or somebody had a super active imagination or you know, something along those lines.
1: Admiral Ozzel just had a shellfish allergy. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what happened.
3: Um,
0: yeah, he really needs to stay f- away from Mon Calamari. Yeah, uh, right. Because, yeah. Uh, what I love, too, in this whole thing, in this whole spiritual side conversation, is the fact of the way that, you know, Obi-Wan has no fear of death, and that He knows, and and especially what I love, what we got all from the prequels and then, of course, the Clone Wars, of just how powerful a Jedi can become after they're gone. Because, one, no Sith can kill them again. And, two, they can still impact the future. And Obi-Wan knows, I may die here, and I'm going to die here, but I can still help train Luke, and I can still help bring him to Yoda and I can still be a part of what's going to happen, and I don't have to be afraid of. I, I'm forever out of Vader's reach, you know. And I, I think that's such an interesting thing to see. And again, it, it is really a. It, it's a lot like, uh, and for for younger listeners, it's a lot like in Harry Potter, where Voldemort is so fearful of death, he will do everything to stay alive, and Harry has no fear of death he because he he believes that life is is not all there is and so that same thing you know what the sith have always craved that everlasting life and being able to affect the future is exactly what the jedi have gotten because they haven't feared death as something to be able
4: it's to. a very it's it's a very poetic um aspect of star wars it's it's so much of um the themes in star wars seem to roll through where the harder you try to prevent something from happening, that's the exact thing that happens. And so where the Sith are pursuing and pursuing and pursuing everlasting life through whatever twisted evil way they can do it, they never achieve it. Whereas Qui-Gon Jinn unlocks that uh, ability. Same thing with Anakin Skywalker, where he's uh, desperately and, and selfishly trying to use his own force of will to preserve his wife's uh, life. Not for her sake, but to preserve his idea of what should be, right? And, and I think in, in the very way, he was the cause of his own downfall uh, and caused the very thing he was uh, having nightmares about. And I think that...
3: And essentially caused her death.
4: Basically. yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Whereas Padme... You know, it's it always good back. Sorry, the, the, side jag on Revenge of the Sith. It's amazing to me how the Sith used truth in such an effectively evil way. It seems in your anger you killed her. It's, I mean, that doesn't get much more straightforward than that. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that I love the the poetic nature of it. Um, and I think that that is a big through line that will be very interesting to see how they handle episode seven going forward, because it is the Jedi who made it to the afterlife. And and you know Qui Gon and and especially Yoda and then Obi Wan who guided Luke, um, but it's, it's it's I don't know that's that's a whole other discussion with Episode Seven as to whether or not how careful they should be when resurrecting uh, <laughs> old old characters in Star Wars. So I guess we'll have to wait till December to see.
0: That's yeah. a that is a big question because it t- it seems like to me that if you don't use those characters, you're really belittling what happened like what Qui-Gon and Yoda and Obi-Wan discover, and then obviously what happens to Anakin once he dies. Well, Anakin. and especially,
4: it's not just that, yeah. it's not just the deleted scene in Revenge of the Sith that we've all seen where, you know, it's, it's Qui-Gon conversing with with Yoda, which just kills me. Ah, oh, it just kills me. That's the greatest through line of the prequels is Qui-Gon's journey and him discovering that the old ways of the Jedi weren't the true ways of the Force, and it's more important to do what's right instead of what's institutionally correct. Uh, and, ah, oh, it's, mm, it's so yeah. important... Uh, we got to redo all the prequel ones. Uh, sorry, Matt. We're gonna redo all the, <laughs> the prequel ones, and <laughs> but it's so true. It's so true, and and you know, uh, it, George didn't leave that theme alone. Uh, even throughout the Clone Wars, as recently as two years ago, three years ago, we see Qui Gon Jinn carrying forward that that theme, and it's such an important theme in A New Hope. Run, H- Luke. Have run.
3: you? Have you guys ever thought about... I I mean, I know we all have to some degree or other, but how different things would have been if Qui-Gon Jinn had lived and had possibly become one of the council members. Like, how different possibly Anakin's training would have gone, how different the Jedi Order may have been.
4: Everything would have still gone to hell in a handbasket and it would have been all Mace Windu's fault. Let's (laughs) let's all be honest. (laughs) Mace Windu's the guy who's the stickler on the council, right? Let's all be honest.
1: Well, I... Yeah, I mean, you know, so long as we're we're pursuing the sidetrack, I think that taking Anakin away from his mom made what happened inevitable in a sense. Um, I I don't I don't think that even Qui-Gon would have would have been. I I think that's the key mistake uh, with with uh, with with Anakin's uh, training is taking him away from his mom. He should have been left like Luke in Star Wars to grow up in as normal a life as possible in that situation. And then come into the galaxy some when necessary. Le- yeah,
4: some, exactly. Sometimes you just need some level of normalcy, and you just need to go to Tashi Station and pick up those power converters. I <laughs> just like <laughs> experience life yeah. that isn't you know just a matter of uh, right life or death. Yeah.
3: Well, it, it it was essentially the fact that even children in modern day real world life who are taken from their parents suddenly, uh, and that that could be like custody cases it could be their parents tragically die somehow if they get a good support system afterwards well yes it's a terrible thing that happens they they can recover from it fairly well in the sense that it it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is not only a tragedy that they have to recover from but is something that massively skews their personality and they never fully recover from it psychologically uh, and, and that's, again, what I pointed out with Anakin is taken away from his only support system, his mother, and he's grown up in slavery, which already means he's somewhat psychologically messed up. You, you don't grow up in slavery without being somewhat psychologically messed up. And he's given no help and told, oh, and by the way, you're the chosen one. So we expect you to do all this perfectly.
0: Well, the one thing that's that's really interesting about star wars a new hope is that it the the character of the universe has changed as such that we need a new type of character and we need some new and we get different characters than we've seen before the prequels and specifically you know you get the scoundrel yeah you, know, you get the lovable rogue uh the smuggler uh, that character wasn't really needed in the prequels because of the way that the galaxy was set up but now with the empire's tyranny these type of characters become more important. Uh, and the way that plays with the princess and the Wookiee and the wizard and, you know, the boy wonder uh, are are really, really interesting. So what are some of your favorite things uh, just about the characters we get here and uh, maybe some of the, the questions that come up for you guys, uh, especially as we consider, like, you know how much does Leia know about Obi-Wan or, you know, uh, fun facts about, you know, hey, Tarkin has met Obi-Wan. So we've, and we've seen it now in the Clone Wars, uh, the way, you know, Obi-Wan reflects a little bit about Anakin and his feelings about that friendship that he had. And of course we've seen that. So yeah, how did that, how does that work, especially now in light of the prequels, all these things and these characters and where they come from? Yeah, it's, uh, it's one
4: of those things that, it's forever changed for us, obviously, by the fact that we saw the prequels. So whenever you look at these these characters and situations, it's impossible not to look at it through that lens. And, in fact, we were talking briefly, uh, Matt, in the, um, in the pre-show before we got started. I just discovered the other day this amazing uh, cough <clears throat> educational <clears throat> edit of Star Wars, <laughs> which is up on Vimeo. Uh, it's yeah. called The Mentor. And it's a guy who recut the... Uh, a New Hope, and just isolated Obi Wan's story through A New Hope, and and it's done in a very at least at least structurally uh, Quentin Tarantino style of film where as it cut as it flows through Obi Wan's story in A New Hope, it cuts back to key moments in, of Obi Wan's journey throughout the prequels, and it's so well done, and and I and I think this is probably uh, especially for Obi Wan, I guess as a character. The most powerful piece of fan work I've seen in a long time, because at the end, the very last act of the film, or not even act, like the last three or four minutes of the film, are Obi-Wan and Darth Vader's duel. Which, of course, when I watched it the first time, I remember thinking, good grief, they're slow. Because I'm comparing them to Ray Park. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow, this is so slow. <laughs> But in the way that the the edit in the mentor is, it's 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 epic and it's it's majestic because you see these two towering figures that you've watched throughout this film interact, and it just intercuts the duel with the duel in Revenge of the Sith, and so as you know, he's saying, "I've been waiting for you, Obi Wan. We meet again at last." It's just this very rapid back and forth series of flashbacks that just jump through the last. 10 or 15 minutes of Revenge of the Sith in about five minutes. Mm, That's cool. And the most powerful part is right at the end when he says, you're the chosen one. It was said that you would bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness. And then the music fades and it cuts to Padme in the birthing chamber saying, Luke. And it flashes to Obi-Wan meeting Luke for the first time. Uh, and And it says, Leia. And it shows the hologram of Princess Leia and Obi-Wan's look of recognition. And you realize, oh, he knows who they are. He's the linchpin of this whole story. So it takes Obi-Wan as the linchpin character and really exposes it in a way that I've never seen before. So I guess if I were to give one plug away in, in this podcast, in fact, if uh, Matt, if you want to make a note of it, I'd say throw it in the show notes. It's amazing. It's called The Mentor.
0: And you just became my favorite person because Obi Wan is my favorite character. <laughs> so anything focusing on him, oh, oh man, you're gonna love it. Okay with me.
1: Is there an edit of that that tells everything from the uh, perspective of the bartender woo her in the uh, cantina by any chance?
0: <laughs> we truly and never getting his bar tab paid by Obi Wan. <laughs> well, you know,
1: I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to think. I mean, he obviously he tried his best to keep a neat and tidy bar. <laughs> And Han and Obi-Wan completely wrecked the joint. That's why they don't serve droids there. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Trouble.
3: Yeah.
4: Oh, man. But yeah, I I don't know if that's exactly the angle you're going for, Matt, but that's just really what kind of jumped to my mind when you're talking about the way we look at these
0: characters now. Well, and and I I love that because I I think that it is so interesting that, you know, Obi-Wan is a smaller character when you just isolate episode four. You know, he, his, his role isn't huge. But when you know the backstory, there's so much more that goes into it. And it's like you said, John, your friend watching all of these films back to back, then when they get to episode four, yeah, that duel does have so much more power behind it. And the end, it, it, it's funny because, you know, I think Vader thinks he won because he cut down Obi-Wan, but we know that he didn't it's obi-wan who who won again yeah. you know he but this time he completely one-upped him sucker cuz you can <laughs> never get me again buddy uh but i'm still <laughs> as, as powerful as ever and and so i think that's really something that's just amazing and what george was able to really add to our understanding of a film like episode 4 and i think make it even deeper and better because he had added you know, obviously now with the prequels and the Clone Wars, there's yeah. just so much
1: more to that story. I think that um, also one of the strengths, because Alec Guinness did get uh, an Oscar nomination, actually, for for playing Obi-Wan. And it's, you know, the mentor sounds so interesting because even though he is a, as you rightly point out, Matt, a smaller, a supporting character, he is so key to a new hope working. and I think that in terms of the backstory of everything, there is the duel being informed. But I think also, for me, the seeing the fall of the Republic and giving real weight to those lines where Vader has to worry about the cover story for capturing the Tana V4. you know it ran into a, you know a storm and everybody's dead on board. Just tell them everybody died. And then the Senate gets dissolved. Like I think that that rounds it out so nicely, where even though you you didn't get to see what a lot of the hardcore fans wanted, which was like how Tarkin and Vader met for the first time and those sorts of things, it provides that contextual weight that makes the original Star Wars feel even grander than it did when you know I was a kid growing up.
0: Well, I mean, even thinking about like like the idea of who Leia is and that we know who her dad was and what he believed in. And, the, you know, especially through uh, the, the prequel trilogy with uh, the Clone Wars specifically too, really adding to that Bale Organa character. You actually meet uh, some other characters in there too, like Bon Mothma. Like all the stuff, it really plays into the, the type of character that Leia is. Why she's so strong. Why she's, you know, just this super kick-ass woman who can really take care of herself who barely needs a rescue she just needs to get out of the cell otherwise she can take care of herself Uh, and so I think that's one of the things that really makes this shine is that the connections really help sell the characters even more because you kind of just have a better understanding of why they are like they are and you know then the fun characters are meeting somebody like Han Solo and Chewie who are you know, for all intents and purposes, a little bit of an anomaly if you've been watching it chronologically, and I think that's really an, a nice thing because you are getting introduced to something. This is "quote unquote" new in the Star Wars universe. This type of
1: character. Yeah. J- just one one thought that occurs to me, um, but before you know every, everything else is Han is the cynic. Han doesn't believe in the Force or the or the Jedi or anything like that. But we know that Chewie now, because of the prequels, has firsthand knowledge of the Jedi and fought alongside oh, that's them. So true. How how has he not sold Han on the concept of the Jedi by this point? Like, is this something where Chewie brings it up every so often, and Han treats him like a you know like a Jehovah's Witness or something? He's like, no 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 no, I don't want to talk about that right now. No no no, 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 no go away. You know.
3: Well, I always think that it, it is. Han's stubbornness that at some point Chewie probably just gave up because Han doesn't believe him. Han thinks that he's trying to pull, you know, pull one over on him. <laughs> yeah, right. Or somehow Chewie got it wrong, <laughs> yeah. or some some weird wookiee thing.
4: Some um, well, in, it maybe it's Han just views it like the Imperial officers do. It's a superstition. It's a you know, yeah.
1: Maybe yeah, if they if they were so powerful, why they are why are they all dead? Exactly,
3: right. I could, I, well, I, I recently, I had a, a <laughs> revelation recently when it comes to Luke and Leia. Uh, I, I don't remember who mentioned this online somewhere, but it, it made me think about it. They said that Leia is very much her dad's daughter. And I was like, wait a second. I've always yeah. thought of Leia as being kind of like Padme where she, you know, she has that spunk, but mm-hmm. she's diplomatic and she, she follows in her mother's footsteps as far as diplomacy and being incredibly intelligent for her age as, and especially politically intelligent as well. And she's very uh, emotionally intelligent too. Whereas Luke's a little young and naive because of his background and his upbringing. But then I thought about, I thought about this statement you know, Leia is actually more like her dad. And personality-wise, I think it's, it's actually very true. Leia is like her dad because she has that fire and that sarcasm and that uh, emotion where she's just, she's just going to storm the castle. She is the aggressive negotiations type. And Luke is more like Padme in some ways because he tends to be more gentle He's the one that's willing to... He sort of more brokers the peace between Han and Leia in the sense that he's he's friends with Han, Leia, and Chewie, whereas Leia and Han don't always get along, and Leia and Chewie even in some ways don't always get along. So Luke is more the peacemaker, and once we see him mature a bit, he becomes the one with sort of a longer-form vision, if you will, which is what Padme had. And so I thought, personality-wise, it's very true. Even though, you know, Leia's a lot like Padme with what she, you know, her living, the fact that she's a politician, and Luke is very much like Anakin by becoming, you know, a Jedi and a Force user. Personality-wise, they're like the opposite parent.
0: And aren't we lucky that that happened? Because you think about the fact that that makes Luke a perfect Jedi. That's exactly what they're going for, you know? And... Politically, you kind of need that fire brand in Leia. And I think that, wow, well, I love that, Bethany. You just added something to my.
1: Yeah, that just kind of blew my mind. It's been, I'll That's, tell you what, gentlemen, yes, it's that, been a night yeah. of discoveries. It has. <laughs> yeah, it has. <laughs> Peru. It, it's, it's the, the journey Padme. to our awakening in the Force. Ah, it's a good title. Yeah. It's a good title. <laughs> There's been an awakening. <laughs> yes. Have you felt it? Exactly. The dark
0: side. Okay, well. We, uh, one of the, one of the things that we could do is, is honestly, we could just talk about this forever because it's Star Wars and that's why we all do podcasts. Um, But uh, I wanted to just kind of get down to the nitty gritty Um, for you guys. uh, Let's do out of five stars and you can do half stars, quarter stars, whatever you want to do. But how would you rate Star Wars, A New Hope, episode four, but just, we'll just, we're going to say, how would you rate Star Wars? And uh, ladies first. So, Bethany, what what would you uh, rate Star Wars? I have
3: to ask: Are you asking compared to the other Star Wars movies, or just compared to movies in general? It can
0: be anything you
3: want to you do. Must do but, what you um, feel is right, of
1: course. You know,
2: yeah, <laughs> of course. exactly.
1: <laughs>
3: okay, well, I will go with four and a half, and and I'll say that because it is an amazing movie. It has great writing, great storytelling, great story, great characters great visuals even for its day and age uh, and, and I would say the reason it didn't quite get the five stars is because there are some moments that do tend to drag a little bit like the, the droids in the desert scene is the main one I'm thinking of <laughs> over here mm, yeah
2: Help.
3: <laughs> I, I'm kind of like Han Three, I, I adore 3PO but eventually he starts to get on my nerves
0: Joey take the professor and... I'm with you in that yeah
1: Plug him in the back.
4: Yep, yep, yep.
0: In the back is where he belongs. Sometimes, especially so, if you've just, watched Anthony
4: Daniels recently. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. This is great. Really having <laughs> having interviewed Anthony on a good day, I've also <laughs> heard I've heard tales of that I was very lucky, a very lucky man.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, what about
4: you, uh Riley, where would you uh what would you rate so, Star Wars? So, uh I'm going to kind of bring it all full circle. The the circle is now complete. Um I started it's off It's the
3: circle <laughs> it's of some, life okay. something
4: like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> it was bound to... we avoided the and singing it the, the Disney song, song right at the beginning and then finally we gave in. Cuz uh, I've
3: had Disney on my uh, mind. It's Disney songs on my mind now this whole time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all
4: right. So, um because when I starting when I first watched the films, Revenge of the Sith was my favorite. It was my Star Wars film. Um, it was the one that was the most emotionally moving, the one I connected with the most, that I had anticipated the most. Um, but uh, slowly over the years, Empire kept just creeping up the scale and, and finally it overtook. So like if you ask me today, Empire is now my favorite with Revenge of the Sith being a, a close second. But A New Hope, Used to be my least favorite, and it's sort of it's 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 been working its way again, kind of speaking to that that family tradition. How it's become such a a classic and and home homegrown feel uh, of a Star Wars film. Uh, that was a terribly constructed sentence, but that's the best way I can describe it. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's kind of coming to my heart in a way that it's now moved right up to number three. Uh, and who knows, probably over the around New Year's, if you ask me again right after we watch it when my dad is, is on leave from uh, <laughs> being working overseas and we watch it again and it's a great family moment, it'll probably move up to number two, uh, that, at least if it keeps on its current track. So uh, that being said, it, it falls right in, if I were to give my five-star review, it would be Empire. If I were to give my uh, 4.75, if we're doing uh, quarters, that would be uh, Revenge of the Sith and I'm going to go straight up. Four and a half for uh, A New Hope.
1: What about you, John? Uh, You know, uh, there's no way for me to uh, step aside from, you know, the obvious lifetime emotional connection with the very first Star Wars film that was released and that I saw um, and how much it shaped how I viewed the world and everything like that. Um, And like you know I'm I'm very much on record it's it's very difficult for me to to rank them even in terms of which one is my favorite although Sith wins hands down consistently um but a new hope I'm going to you know I'm going to give it 5 stars because there isn't a single moment and I mean I understand that it's constructed differently than movies are constructed now I understand that my metric is is not everybody's but for me there's not a single moment In the movie that feels extraneous or boring, there isn't something that jumps out whenever I watch it where I go, eh, you know, I could shorten this a little bit. I think that this is one of those lightning in a bottle movies where the editing, the writing, the performances, the music, especially, everything came together so perfectly in this moment in time that it gets five stars.
0: This is a really, I'm having a really hard time with this question. Um, because honestly I think that Star Wars is Mary Poppins It's practically perfect in every way now that means it's not perfect but it's practically perfect which means basically I, how can you not like it, it's it's five stars like uh, but I if I if I was if I'm thinking like a, a film kind of guy um and I'm kind of comp- I would say it's probably for me it's 4.75. And that's where the Practically Perfect end. There's And there's a couple of things in there that, you know, but yeah, it's amazing. And I I love this film and I love what it did for me in opening my eyes to a completely different side of life, a, f- a fanciful side of life. You know, Star Wars isn't sci-fi. It's, it's um, really fantasy. It's a, a science fantasy. It's a space opera. And because of that... George Lucas gave me a really great gift in uh, the idea of a whole new world, a whole bigger world, and that that brought me into so many things that I love so much. And and like you said, Bethany, you have taught me things about morality, right and wrong, and good and evil, and being somebody who's willing to stand up for what's right, even when it's not easy. All of that stuff that starts with Star Wars, and that is, I think. A massive impact, and I know that it's had on so many others. So, yeah, it's, I, let's just say, it's a 4.75 to five star movie for me. I can't decide. So, uh, make that what you will of it, fans. But um, I hope you've enjoyed us talking about Star Wars tonight. Um, it, it's definitely a film I think that we all have a huge connection to, whether it's something we came into later you know, or it's something that we came into first. It doesn't really matter. It still has had a huge impact. So before uh we go, guys, do remember that you can check out the shows out at dot uh, iTunes.com slash Trek FM and Trek.fm. We are other places though. Uh, make sure that uh if you're not an Apple user, you know that you can find us on Stitcher and TuneIn and SoundCloud, Windows Phone. You can stream and download the MP3 file from the website and you can also grab the RSS link as well. But if you are an apple user, I'd really appreciate if you just head on over to iTunes and give us uh, a nice uh review and star rating. really appreciate that It definitely helps us out uh when we are being searched for by people. It helps us come a- faster and better so I really appreciate that from you guys, especially all of you recently who have been doing that um it's it's meant the world to me to to see your feedback there on iTunes and for the rest of the world. Uh, Another big thing you know uh, for us here is Patreon. Um, We're a listener-supported network, and and being a network of the size that we are, the bandwidth costs and the storage space and and all the stuff that we use to bring these shows to you each week, it does cost quite a bit, and we need your help. Uh, So go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can find all the goals that we have. We've got some great perks for you. We've got the Roundtable we do with Will Win, where listeners can come in. Uh, that a certain level there. It's $25 on Patreon a month. You get to be on your own Trek FM show every month. Uh, you can have exclusive content. And of course, you can be a, an associate producer on shows like Ken Tripp is. I really appreciate Ken. He's been supporting 602 Club since pretty much the very beginning. And he helps bring the show to you each and every week. So I really want to say thank you. Of course, We'd love to hear your feedback. Go to trek.fm slash contact and just choose a show. You can choose the 602 Club. and It'll come right to us. We'd love to hear what you thought about Star Wars. And honestly, I'm pretty sure that we could probably get a few really long emails about the ways that Star Wars has impacted your life. Uh, you could leave us a voicemail. Just go to the sidebar on the show page or go to speedpipe.com slash trek.fm. Of course, Twitter. At Trek FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.FM, and the Babel Conference there, our listeners-only discussion group. Just uh, type Babel in the search field on Facebook or go to the website at Trek.FM and click Discussion there on the menu bar. Now, Bethany and Riley, you guys actually run your own Star Wars network together um, and have been doing that for quite a while. So tell everybody about the Star Wars report, and I know my listeners are pretty familiar with it in the sense that Bruce... Gibson is on the show frequently here, and so he's talked a little bit about that, but just tell everybody about that, um, where they can find you both online, if they want to interact with you guys, Uh, and yeah, I I really want to make sure that you have the opportunity to tell everybody about the Star Wars Report. Uh, Yes,
3: indeed, and and thank you for that opportunity. So, me and Riley and Mark run thestarwarsreport.com, and that is our website, which hosts the Star Wars Report podcast, among many other podcasts and we basically cover all things Star Wars, news, reviews, books, movies, TV shows. We're, we're big fans of all of those and more. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Star Wars Report, and you can find me on Twitter at Bethany L. Blanton.
4: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Make sure you check out the Star Wars Report podcast if you like uh, Star Wars. We talk about what the community's talking about every week. That's sort of, uh, the show's evolved a lot over the years, but it's pretty much an hour of me and my good buddy Mark and whatever guest hosts are in for the week and we uh, we talk each week about whatever the community is talking about so like in this case uh, our most recent episode if you want to check it out is uh, 185 where we talk to Colm Flynn who is a local Irish reporter on the ground uh, at Skellig Michael and he gives us the lowdown on the Star Wars episode 8 filming so if if you're interested in that kind of thing that's uh, that's what you'll find on the Star Wars Report podcast. I'm also, hey, and if I'll throw it out there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. It's at the Riley Guy. But I appreciate it, man. And, and, and uh, seriously, uh, thanks so much. You've really Matt uh, an amazing show. Uh, and and I, I I couldn't be more honest. But this this level of discussion about Star Wars, even from someone who does a weekly Star Wars podcast, we don't get this kind of in depth um, in depth discussion. And I really appreciate you having us on tonight.
0: Yeah, it's, it really has been great. I, I, I've i been listening to you guys for a long time. Uh, you're talking about your recent episode, and I, I loved that episode. It was so much Let's fun. Let's be honest. It was to, the accent. It was you. the Irish accent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can listen to Irish accents all day. Um, so, But yeah, I, I love what you guys do. Um, I love your passion for, for Star Wars, but I've also, I think for me, the, the thing that really caught me about you and Bethany and Mark is, is y'all's commitment to doing something that is respectful and honest towards all fans. But I also know that you are both uh, fans of faith, and that's what really um, caught me. Oh, thanks, man. And I just appreciate all of you not being afraid uh, of, of sharing all of your passions. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on, and you guys are welcome anytime. Oh, man. Uh, say, say, honestly, the, you speak, don't even... say the word, and we'll be there.
4: Thanks. <laughs>
0: thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't even have to be on for Star Wars. Anything else you guys want to talk about on the schedule, feel free to come on anytime. All right, thank you. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Well, John, before uh, we let you get out of here, the 602 Club, uh, I know everybody's familiar with you, but um, you've (laughs) got a few things to mention to people. I mean, they've got a five-star podcast, you've got some five-star podcasts, so make (laughs) sure you let everybody know.
1: Well, uh, I'm also, uh, when I'm not here in the bar with you, uh, I'm also uh, appearing on the Trek FM network on Commentary Trek Stars uh, with the delightful Mike Schindler. Um, who's mourning his baseball team's elimination from the playoffs right now and uh i I can uh i can tell you that it's a joy being with him commentary trek stars is where we examine the non-trek work of star trek creators and uh it's it's really a lot of fun uh we just finished examining the work of uh michael pillar actually and that was that was wonderful oh thank you um and then I also appear on a, uh, on a podcast called Words with Nerds uh, with my buddy Craig. It's a weekly podcast full of insanity, really, um, but uh, a lot of fun. So if anybody wants to come over and check that out, that'd be great. And you can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. And hopefully people listening to a Star Wars podcast will figure out how to spell that. <laughs>
0: Well, guys, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, I do the Instagram-y thing, so if you like pictures, uh, check that out at rushing. I'm also doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, talking about Deep Space Nine. So uh, check that out, because that's our Deep Space Nine only show on the network. Uh, I'm also doing Literary Treks with Dan, talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek, interviewing the authors, getting that behind-the-scenes look at all the brand-new books coming out. So check that out. Some amazing shows recently. And then I have my own personal blog. Uh, If you want to see some movie reviews, book reviews, and other things I write about, check that out at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. I really appreciate everyone joining us. And may the Force be with you. ¶¶